I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Welcome to the Leaves of Glen Mansion. It's a fun little bit where I pretend to live in a mansion and not just recording in my basement. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week, we're going to continue to read Peter Pan by J.M. Barry. A little bit about the author. It's the same thing I read every time, so you can skip through this if you don't like it. He was born in May of 1816. He died the 19th of June, 1937. Oh, he's a Scottish novelist and playwright. Eh, Best remember as the creator of Peter Pan, a shadow he couldn't get out from under. He was born and educated in Scotland before moving to London, where he wrote a number of successful novels and plays, never as good as Peter Pan. And there he met the Llewellyn Davies boys, who inspired him to write about a baby boy eh, who has the magical adventure in the Kensington Gardens, which led him to writing Peter Pan, the boy who wouldn't grow up in 1904. Although he continued to write successfully, Peter Pan overshadowed his other work and is credited with popularizing the name Wendy for some goddamn reason. Barry unofficially adopted the Davies boys following the deaths of their parents and Barry was made into a baronet by George V and a member of the Order of Merit. Uh, before his death, he gave the rights to Peter Pan's works to the Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children in London, which continues to benefit from them. So, just the nicest guy on the face of the earth. Uh, yeah, what are you, some fun facts? I got some fun facts from, of all places, uh, the Huffington Post. Peter Pan may have a dark secret you didn't know about. Oh, one year ago, uh, Disney put Peter Pan back in the vault. It'll be a few years before it's released again to a new generation, but in the meantime, it's hard not to look back on it with fond memories. Dot, dot, dot. Or is it? The truth is that J.M. Barry's original story, which inspired Disney's tale, may have a dark secret. After hearing it, you can't really blame Peter Shadow for wanting to get the heck out of there. When it comes to the internet, a lot of fan theories can be categorized as crazy town. This one, however, has enough evidence to make a lost boy wet his onesie. <laughs> Though it's easy to miss, one line in the story basically reveals the lost boy's fate. Quote, The boys on the island vary, of course, in numbers according as they get killed and so on. But when they seem to be growing up, uh, which is against the rules, Peter thins them out. Uh, but at this time, there were six of them, counting the twins as two. Yep, you read it right. When did Huffington Post try to be all edgy and cool with how they write? Yep, you read that right. Uh, when the Lost Boys get too old, Peter, quote, thins them out, unquote. But what does that mean? Redditor Krusty the Clown sums it up pretty well. I just spat on my screen. I just love the idea that they're crediting people with the dumbest names on Reddit. Uh... Maybe Pan isn't that specific uh, with how he gets rid of the boys, but you get the point. So could he really kill them off? A variety of things suggest that Peter Pan is capable of offing his compatriots. For one, Peter hates adults, like he really hates them, which you can see in the story. Quote, as soon as he got inside his tree, he breathed intentionally quick short breaths at the rate of about five to a second. 
He did this because there is a saying in the Neverland that every time you breathe, a grown-up dies. <laughs> Peter was killing them off vindictively as fast as possible. I had no idea this story is that bad. Jeez, Peter, tell us how you really feel. Oh, that's pretty cool. I'm glad Huffington Post wrote that. Uh, with his uh, clear taste for grown-ups, it is uh, reasonable to think that Ben uh, would have a lot of contempt for the boys as they grew up. Also, the story goes uh, just as dark in general, which gives the theory even more plausibility. Grim moments include Wendy nearly dying after being shot by an arrow, Peter being attacked by Hook, and left to drown, and Hook being eaten by a crocodile. You can't take everything at face value. A story about children, the thins them outline could just be a metaphor. Or as one commenter points out in uh, Pain in the English... Perhaps it meant something entirely different. It could be just as likely to refer to them as being killed by pirates or never leaving Neverland upon growing up or being banished or shunned, etc. The story could definitely be open to interpretation, but even Disney's toned-down version isn't without its dark moments. If true, could Disney's pan be capable of killing the Lost Boys too? Well, there was that. Please, God, let us almost be done. Uh, hear the grandfather clock. Let me know when I can move on. Oh, thank God. Well, with that, uh, why don't we get into Chapter 4? I got to read this at breakneck speed because I'm trying to watch The Bachelorette, which has come on in less than an hour. So here we go. Chapter four, The Flight. Second to the right and straight on till morning. That Peter had told Wendy was the way to Neverland. But even birds carrying maps and consulting them at windy corners could not have cited it with these instructions. Peter, you see, just said anything that came to his head. At first, his companions trusted him implicitly, and so great were the delights of flying that they wasted time circling round church spires or any other uh, tall objects uh, that they looked to, took their fancy, and John and Michael raced, Michael getting a start. They recalled with contempt that not so long ago they had thought themselves fine fellows for being able to fly round a room. Not long ago, oh, but how long ago, they were flying over the sea before this thought began to disturb Wendy seriously. John thought it was their second sea and their third night. Sometimes it was dark and sometimes light, and now they were very cold and warm again, too. Did they really feel hungry at times, or were they merely pretending? Because Peter has such a jolly way of feeding them. What? His way was to pursue birds who had food in their mouths, or oh, gross, suitable for humans, and snatch it from them. Then the birds would follow and snatch it back, and then they would all go chasing after each other gaily for miles. Oh, that sounds fun. Panting, uh, parting at last with mutual expressions of goodwill. But Wendy noticed with gentle concern that Peter did not seem to know that this was rather an odd way of getting your bread and butter, nor even that there were other ways. Certainly, they did not pretend to be sleepy. Uh, they were sleepy, but that was a danger. Uh, for the moment, they popped off, uh, and then down they fell. The awful thing was that Peter thought this was funny. Well, there he goes again. Uh, he would cry gleefully as Michael suddenly dropped like a stone. Save him! Save him! cried Wendy, looking with horror at the cruel sea far below. And eventually, Peter would dive through the air and catch Michael just uh, before he could strike at the sea. And it was a lovely way that he did it, but he always waited till the last moment. And you felt it was his cleverness that interested him in not saving a, a, a human life. 
Also, he was fond of variety. And the sport that engrossed him one moment would suddenly cease to engage him, and there was always the possibility that the next time you fell, he'd just let you go. Uh, he could sleep in the air without falling. Weird. By merely lying on his back and floating. Weird. But that was, partly at least, uh, because he was so light uh, that if you got behind him in blue, hey, we, he went faster. Uh, do be more polite to him, Wendy whispered to John uh, when they were playing follow the leader. Uh, then tell him to stop showing off, said John. When playing follow my leader, Peter would fly close to the water and touch each shark's tail in passing, just as in the street when you would run your finger along an iron railing. Oh, they could not follow him in the, uh, this with much success, so perhaps it was rather like showing off, especially as he kept looking behind to see how many tails they missed. Ah, uh, you, you must be nice to him, Wendy impressed on his brothers. What could we do if he were to leave us? Uh, uh, we could go back, Michael said. Uh, how could we ever find our way back without him? Well, then we could go on, said John. Now, that's an awful thing, John. Uh, we should have to go on, for we don't know how to stop. Well, this is true. Uh, Peter had forgotten to show them how to stop. Uh, John had said that if the worst came to the worst, all they had to do was to go straight on, for the world was round, and so in time they must come back to their own window. And, and who is to get food for us, John? I nipped a bit out of the eagle's mouth pretty neatly, Wendy. <laughs> and after the, the 20th try, Wendy reminded him, and even though we came good at, became good at picking up food, see how we bump against clouds, eh? And things if he did not if he was not near to give us a hand. Indeed, they were constantly bumping. Uh, they could now fly strongly, though they still kicked far too much. And if they saw a cloud in front of them, uh, the more they tried to avoid it, the more they certainly did bump in. You don't bump into clouds; you go through clouds. Moron! If Nana had been with them, she would have had a bandage round Michael's forehead by this time. Oh, that's right, Nana, the dog, the dog babysitter. Peter was not with them for the moment. And they felt rather lonely up there by themselves. Oh, he could go so much faster than they could. He would suddenly shoot out of sight to have some adventure in which they had to share. Uh, and no one would come down laughing uh, over something fearfully funny he had been saying, uh, saying to a star. Eh, eh, but he had already forgotten what it was. Or he would come up with a mermaid scales still sticking to him. Oh, what is that supposed to mean? And yet not able to say for certain what had been happening. Yeah, gross. That's weird. If he had really uh, rather irritating to children who had never seen a mermaid, and if he forgets them so quickly, Wendy argued, how can we expect that he will go on remembering us? Indeed. Sometimes when he returned, he did not remember them, uh, at least not well. Wendy was sure of it. Uh, she saw recognition come into his eyes as he was about to pass them in time of day and go on. Uh, once even, she had to call him by name. This is a guy that kissed Wendy. He doesn't remember her. What a turd. I'm Wendy, she said agitatedly. And he was very sorry. I say, ah, Wendy, he whispered to her. Always, if you see me forgetting you, uh, just keep on saying I'm Wendy, uh, and, then, and then I'll remember. Of course, this was rather unsatisfactory. However, to make amends, he showed them how to lie out flat on a strong wind that was going their way. Uh, and this was such a pleasant change that they tried it several times and found that they could sleep thus with security. Indeed, yeah, they would have slept longer, but Peter tired quickly of sleeping, and soon he would cry in his captive voice, I would get off here. So, with occasional tiffs, but on the whole rollicking, they drew near the Neverland, for after many moons, they did reach it. And what is more, they had been going uh, pretty straight all the time, not perhaps so much owing to the guidance of Peter or Tink, as because the island was looking for them, it was uh, only thus that, uh, that anyone may sight these magic shores. 
Uh, there it is, Peter said calmly. Uh, where? Where? Where all the uh, arrows are pointing. Indeed, a million golden arrows were pointing it out to the children, all directed by their friend, the sun, who wanted them to be sure of their way before leaving them for the night. Well, Wendy and John and Michael stood on tiptoe in the air ugh, to get on first sight of the island. <laughs> you, don't have to st- you don't have to stand on tiptoe if you're already up in the air. Strange to say, they all recognized it at once until fear fell upon them, and they hailed it. Not as something long dreamt of and seen at last, but as a familiar friend eh? to whom they were returning home for the holidays. Uh, John, uh, there's the lagoon. Wendy, look at that. Look at the turtles burying their, burying their eggs in the sand. I say, John, I see your flamingo with the broken leg. And look, Michael, there's your cave. John, uh, what's in the, uh, in the brushwood? Hmm, yeah, it's a wolf with her whelps. Wendy, I do believe that's your little whelp. <laughs> there's my boat, John, uh, with her sides stove in. Now it isn't why we burned your boat. That's her at any rate. I say, John, I see the smoke of the... Ooh, the redskin camp. Oh, boy. Where? Show me, and I'll, I'll tell you by the way the smoke curls, whether they're on... Oh, the warpath. They're just across the mysterious river. I see now, yes, they are on the... Uh, the warpath right now, though... Peter was still annoyed at them for knowing so much, but if he wanted to lord it over them, his triumph was at hand, for I have not told you that the Anon fear fell upon them. It came as the arrows went, leaving the island in gloom. In the old days, at home, the Neverland had always begun to look a little dark and threatening by bedtime. Uh, Then unexplored patches rose in it and spread. Black shadows moved about in them, and the roar of the beasts of prey were quite different now. And above all, uh, you lost the certainty that you could win. Uh, They were quite glad that the nightlights were on. Uh, You even liked Nana to say that this was just a mantelpiece over here, that it was the Neverland is all make-believe. Of course, the Neverland had been make-believe in those days, but it was real now, and there were no nightlights. Uh, and it was getting darker every moment. And, uh, and, and where's Nana? They had been flying apart, but they huddled close to Peter now. His careless manner had gone at last. His eyes were sparkling, and a tinkle went through them every time he touched his body. Oh, they were now over the fearsome island, flying so low that sometimes a tree grazed their feet. (laughs) Nothing horrid was visible in the air, yet their progress had become slow and labored, exactly as if they were pushing their way through hostile forces. Sometimes they hung in the air until until Peter had beaten on it with his fists. Speaking of beating on things with your fists... Uh, Stephen Dorglas has got a, a tough problem with his eyes. He's a glass man who works in the glass business uh, with Dorglass.com. That's D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S.com. But his eyes are crap. That is brain. He's got a crap brain, which is why he started taking Omega-3. Oh, it's the better choice. Nothing fishy about it. Oh, you want heart, eye, and brain health benefits that are associated with DHA and EPA, omega-3 fatty acids, and with, uh, without the fishy business? Uh, that's why Ovega 3 is the better choice. Ovega 3 is a, a vegetarian slash vegan sustainable omega-3 supplement with DHA and EPA extracted from algae, a trusted natural source. So it has the same benefits as other DHA and EPA sources like fish without the, uh, uh, fishy aftertaste. 
What sets Ovega 3 apart? Well, uh, Ovega 3 is 100% fish-free source of EPA and DHA. It's packed with five times more EPA and DHA versus the standard pure krill oil. <laughs> it's derived from a trusted natural plant source. Uh, it's a vegetarian vegan alternative to fish oil. Uh, isn't that nice? Sustainable, so it won't deplete the ocean's supply of fish. It's free of GMOs, gluten, eh, pfft, soy, uh, lactose, and sugars. It's free of all allergens associated with uh, fish oil. Plus, eh, no fishy aftertaste, which is a, a goddamn relief. Doorglass.com, D-O-R-G-L-A-S-S.com, is dedicated to fabricating professionally installing the highest quality glass products from the nation's top manufacturers. Their inventory combined with their years of experience makes it the premier source for installation and repair. Oh, they approach every project with the same goals. Professionalism, eh, integrity, and more importantly, when it comes to him having to take a possibly illegal supplement that doesn't kill fish and doesn't have that gross fishy aftertaste, uh, but he's taking it and his eyes probably didn't get better. It's just a placebo thing, so he's just kind of blindly pounding away at glass, trying to make your windows. They're discreet. What do they do? Commercial storefronts, automatic entrances, windows, patio doors, mirrors, shower doors, installation repair, and they will design and build anything you want. Uh, it might not look like what you want, because Steven Dorglas can't see where shit anymore, uh, but he's convinced he can, uh, so just... Pay him, and he'll eventually leave. Clients, Pottery Barn, eh, Williams-Sonoma, Sherman-Williams, Portillo's, which is a crappy sandwich shop no one cares about, the Salt Cave, which is a place that has Himalayan salt walls that are backlit, uh, and their one rule on their website is, for God's sakes, do not touch the walls, or else the Minneapolis police will haul you away and beat the shit out of you. And also, Applebee's. Well, with that, why don't we uh, retire to the master bedroom? Because I'm erect after reading about Stephen Dorglas uh, fooling himself into thinking he has sight. Uh, and I could read to you the latest upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Hold on, I just had to put on my tight pants and I, uh, what the hell? Why are you dressed like Ed Kemper, for Christ's sake? You're all tall, with a mustache and glasses, and you've stuffed your tummy so you look a little doughy. That's weird. Oh, look at you, gesturing over towards a book you put in my heart-shaped bed, here in the master bedroom. Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson. Great. Want to learn about uh, Love in the Time of Serial Killers? Sure. Turns out that reading nothing but true crime isn't exactly conducive to modern dating. <laughs> and one woman is going to have to learn how to give love a chance eh, when she's used to suspecting the worst. PhD candidate Phoebe uh, Walsh has always been obsessed with true crime. Oh, she's even analyzing the genre in her dissertation. Ugh. And if she can manage to finish writing it, oh, it's hard to find time when she spends the summer in Florida cleaning out her childhood home. Dealing with her obnoxiously good-natured younger brother. Oh, what a turd. And grappling with the complicated feelings of mourning a father she hadn't had a relationship with for years. It doesn't help that she's uh, low-key convinced that her new neighbor, Sam Dannings, is a serial killer. Oh, I see why you dress like Ed Kemper. Good job. And he may dress a, a business casual by day, but at night, he's clearly up to something. Oh, it's not long before Phoebe realized that Sam might be something much scarier. Eh? A genuinely nice guy who can pierce her armor to reach her vulnerable heart? 
That's weird. You think someone's a serial killer and then you make sex with them. Well, that's Love in the Time of Serial Killers by Alicia Thompson. It's coming out August 16th uh, for a paperback for 17 bucks. You can find it on Amazon, uh, 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 Bites and Elba, Books a Million, Bookshop, Talk Hugs and Booksellers, Idiot about uh, Powell's Tucker, Walmart. Well, with that, uh, why don't we... I can't have sex with you when you're dressed like a... A serial killer. I can't make sex with you like the person in this book. I have standards. So with that, why don't we go back down to the library and finish reading this book so I can go watch Bachelorette. That's so I can see all that meat on display. You're taking me away from my meat. Well, there we go. We're all settled. Eh, you're still wearing the mustache. <sighs> you're so edgy. You're so cool. Why don't we pick up where we left off? Uh, oh, they don't want us to land, he explained. Who are they? Eh, Wendy whispered, shuddering. But he could not, uh, or would not say. Tinkerbell had been asleep on his shoulder. Weird. Oh, Tinkerbell, the one that keeps saying ass all the time? I actually like Tinkerbell in this book. Much better than what I saw from Disney. But now he wakened her uh, and uh, sent, uh, sent her in front. Sometimes he poised himself in the air, listening intently with his hand to his ear. And again, he would stare down with eyes so bright that they seemed to bore two holes to the earth. Having done these things, he went on again, his... Courage was almost appalling. Uh, would you like an adventure now? He said casually to John. Or would you like to have your tea first? <laughs> and Wendy said tea first, quickly. And Michael pressed her hand in gratitude. But the braver John hesitated. Uh, uh, what, what kind of adventure? He asked cautiously. Oh, there's a pirate asleep in the pampas just beneath us, said uh, Peter told him. And if you like, uh, we'll go down and uh, 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 kill him. I don't see him, John said after a long pause. I do. Uh, suppose, eh, John said a little huskily, <laughs> he were to wake up. Peter spoke indignantly. Now, you don't think I'd kill him while he was sleeping. I would wake him up first and then kill him. That's the way I always do. I say, do you kill many? Oh, tons, John said. How ripping, <laughs> but decided to have tea first. He asked if there were many pirates on the island just now, and Peter said that he had uh, never known so many. Well, uh, uh, who is captain now? Hook, answered Peter, and his face became very stern. And he said that he uh, said that hated word. Joss, period, Hook? Joss, I'm looking that up. I'm on the Kindle. I can look up all sorts of shit. J-A-S, Joss, abbreviated James in biblical references and generally. All right, whatever. Joss, period, hook, question mark, A, period. Then, indeed, Michael began to cry, and even John could speak gulps only, for they knew Hook's reputation. Oh, he was Blackbird's bosun. John whispered huskily. Oh, he's the worst of them all. Oh, and he is the only man of whom barbecue is afraid? What? <laughs> the food is afraid of him? I'm sure that's not what it means, but God, I want to believe that's what, that's what it is. That's him, said Peter. And what's he like? Is he, is he big? Oh, he's not so big as he was. How do you mean? Nah, I cut a, I cut a bit off him. <laughs> you? Yes, me, said Peter sharply. I wasn't mean to be disrespectful. Oh, all right. But what I say, uh, what bit? His right hand. Uh, then he can't fight now? Uh, oh, 
Oh, can't he just? Left-hander? Oh, he has an iron hook instead of a right hand. And, uh, and claws with it. Claws? I say, John, said Peter. Yes. Say, A-A, sir. A-A, sir. I don't know what the fuck's going on right now. There is one thing, Peter continued, that every boy who serves under me has to promise, and so must you. John paled. It is this. If we meet, hook, in open fight... You must leave him to me. Oh, I promise, said John loyally. And for the moment, they were feeling less eerie because Tink was flying with them. <laughs> and in her light, they could distinguish each other. And unfortunately, uh, she could not fly so slowly as they. So she had to go round and round them in a circle in which they moved in the hill. Oh, Wendy quite liked it until Peter pointed out the drawbacks. She tells me, he said, that the pirates sighted us before the darkness came and uh, got Long Tom out. Uh, the big gun? Yes. And of course, they must see her light. And if they if they guess uh, we are near it, they are sure to let fly. Wendy, uh, John, uh, Michael, tell her to go away at once, Peters. These three cried simultaneously, but uh, he refused. Oh, she thinks uh, we may have lost the way, he replied stiffly. And she is rather frightened. Uh, you don't think I would send her away all by herself when she's frightened? For a moment, the circle of light was broken. And something gave Peter, burp, a loving little pinch. Then tell her, Wendy begged, to put out her light. Well, she can't put it out. Uh, that is about the only thing the fairies can't do. Uh, she just goes out of itself when she falls asleep. Uh, same as the stars. Well, uh, then uh, tell her to sleep at once, John almost started. But she can't sleep in the, except when she's sleepy. And it's the only other thing fairies can't do. Seems to be, growled John, uh, these are the only things worth doing. Here he got a pinch, but not a loving one. What does that mean? If only one of us had a pocket, Peter said. We could carry her in it. However, they had set off in such a hurry that there was not a pocket between the four of them. They have pants without pockets, and when they leave the house, they can take a pocket and slap it on their pants. Is that how it worked back then? Or are they talking like some sort of fanny pack? He had a happy idea. Uh, John's hat! Tink agreed to travel by hat if it was carried in hand. John carried it, though he had hoped to be carried by Peter. Uh, pres presently, Wendy took the hat because John said it struck against his knee as he flew, and this, as we shall see, led to mischief, for Tinkerbell hated to be under the obligation to Wendy. In the black topper, the light was completely hidden, and they flew in on silence. It was the stillest silence that he had ever known, broken once by a distant lapping, which Peter explained was the wild beast drinking at the ford, and again uh, by rasping sound that might have been the branches of trees rubbing together, and it was said that the red... Oh, the redskins. Ugh. <laughs> God. I don't like reading that part out loud. I wonder if I could replace it with something. Uh... Uh, sharpening their knives? Oh, Christ. Even these noises ceased, to Michael, the loneliness was dreadful. If only something would make a sound, he cried. As if in answer to his request, the air was rent by the most tremendous crash ever it heard. The pirates had fired Long Tom at them. The roar of it echoed through the mountains, and the echoes seemed to cry savagely. Where are they? Uh, where, where are they? And thus sharply did the terrified three learn the difference between, uh, between an island of make-believe eh, uh, and the same island come true. When at last the heavens were steady again, John and Michael found themselves alone in the darkness. John was treading the air mechanically, and uh, Michael, without knowing how to float, was floating. Are you shot? John whispered 
tremulously. I haven't tried yet. Uh, Michael whispered back. Uh, We know now that no one had been hit. Peter, however, had been carried by the wind of the shot far out to sea, while Wendy was blown upwards with no companion but Tinker Bell. It would have been well for Wendy if at that moment she had dropped the hat. I don't know whether the idea came suddenly to Tink or whether she had planned it on that way, but, uh, but she had once popped out of the hat eh, and began to lure Wendy to her destruction. Tink was not all bad, or rather, she was all bad just now, but on the other hand, sometimes she was all good. Fairies have to be one thing or the other, because being so small, they unfortunately have room for one feeling only at a time. They are, however, allowed to change, and it only must be a complete change. At present, she was full of jealousy of Wendy. What she said in her lovely tinkle, uh, Wendy could not, of course, understand, but I believe some of it was bad words, but it sounded kind. And she flew back and forward, plainly meaning, follow me and all will be well. Burp. But what else could poor Wendy do? Oh, she called to Peter and John and Michael and got only mocking echoes to reply. (laughs) It's just like a bunch of dicks flying through the air, including Tinkerbell. She did not yet know that Tink hated her with a fierce hatred of of a very woman. Of a very woman. The fierce hatred of a very woman. All right. And so bewildered, and now staggering in her flight, she followed Tink to her doom. Well, that's the end of that crap. Uh, Why don't we go down to the smoking room, where my girlfriend decided to put in a bunch of birds because she thought it'd make the place classy, and we can go over what the hell we just read. Well, here we are, uh, back in the smoking room, where we're going to review what we read and decide if it sucked or not. Uh, the start with, it's just basically them flying through the air over the ocean. Oh, Jesus. Over the ocean. And it's uh, just a bunch of kids. A bunch of kids uh, slapping and yelling, having a good old time while flying through the air. One of them falls asleep and drops like a stone to the ocean, and uh, everyone laughs and thinks it's hilarious and nearly let him drown. Uh, then... Tinkerbell decides to wake up, even though apparently she's been sleeping for days, and uh, just zip around them like a giant beacon in the sky for the pirates to see, so they take a shot at them. Uh, Tinkerbell doesn't give a shit about anyone, and uh, then they put her in a hat, and then she hates Wendy and wants to kill Wendy. Also, when she makes cute little tinkling sounds, apparently she's swearing at you and stuff. So, uh, so far, I like Tinkerbell the most, uh, and I guess the, what's good about this chapter is that... Um, at least it made a little more sense and not nearly as confusing where they just throw things out as if you're supposed to accept it and not question it or have any follow-up questions. Uh, here it's just they're flying and this is what life like uh, life is like when you're flying through the air for days on end. I guess it's a little weird that they would attack birds to steal the food out of their mouth to eat uh, and just thought that was a rollicking good time. Not disgusting. And apparently these birds have a pound's worth of food in their beaks, I guess. I don't know. So, whatever that's all about. So, what's good? Made a little more sense, kinda, I guess, relative to what we've been reading before. You can endure anything. Uh, You can slowly tolerate stuff in small degrees. What sucks? Um, I don't know. I guess that Peter Pan's just kind of a dick, and that everyone's kind of a dick. Wendy's getting sucked off into something where she's like, Tinkerbell's like, go over here with me. And it's like, hey, guys, come over here. They're all like, screw off, Wendy. So nobody's nice to anyone in this book, which I guess I should either respect. It's kind of like when I had to read, uh, when I read Harry Potter. 
I really hated Malfoy because he was a complete cock and no one ever just beat the shit out of him. In real life, even a bully like Malfoy, especially a tiny little rich kid, uh, he's going to get the shit kicked out of him at some point. Uh, but uh, not in Harry Potter. This book is just everyone's a, is a tiny Malfoy. Just a bunch of Malfoys flying through the sky, all hating each other and eating food out of bird's beaks. What do we learn? Uh, apparently you can fly and steal food right out of a bird's mouth and then like afterwards you're all friends like they said that the birds the birds and the kids had a good time with it they kind of like high five and slap each other on the back and the birds go off in their own direction with whatever food is left over in their mouth uh so we learned that uh i gotta go because i gotta go watch uh a bunch of um hopefully shirtless men all vie for the attention of two bachelorettes (laughs) <laughs> just it's like the world is upside down right now and i love it so with that i will uh, talk to you next week ah uh, well it appears you found me in the part of the podcast i hate the most where i tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. We can see a backlog of everything I've ever read uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle. So I got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left. <laughs>